0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is the Mission. Nobody wants to talk about COVID anymore, and I totally get it. The virus dominated our lives for three years, and frankly, we're tired of it. By all indications, leaders at every level of government are too. On Tuesday, California lifted its COVID-19 state of emergency, which gave Governor Gavin Newsom broad power to impose mask mandates and lockdown restrictions. In a matter of months, the Biden administration will do the same nationally. Many say the gestures are symbolic, but they also signal the end of massive federal aid for things like free and easy access to vaccines, tests, and treatments. But COVID isn't really over. Just ask Francesca Fenzi. She's a producer of this podcast.
1: I am also recently recovering from COVID-19. She tested positive for COVID a week ago. I was experiencing a lot of the symptoms that are probably stereotypical at this point. Sore throat, body aches, I had a fever, which developed into a cough and headache and was basically bedridden for a couple of days.
0: Francesca, who's vaccinated and boosted by the way, realized she had a lot of questions about how to deal with a positive COVID diagnosis
1: at this point in the pandemic. Things like, how long should she quarantine for? Do I stop being contagious at five days? 10 days when I have a negative test result. These were all things that I was frantically Googling while laying in my bed and running my humidifier and trying to recover. And I realized that they're Wasn't necessarily a clear answer. I was having to make a lot of judgment calls for myself. She also had questions about her level of exposure. How vulnerable had she been to contracting COVID?
0: And what data was available to track cases in the Bay Area?
1: Figuring out to what degree I should be concerned and to what degree I should be protecting other members in my community still feels like something that's a big open question. That's not her only big open question. And then when it comes to returning to normal life and some of the lingering symptoms, you know, when can I expect to feel better? How concerned should I be about long COVID symptoms? I think these are things that I'm probably not alone in wondering about. Francesca
0: definitely is not That's why today on 5th Emission, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, a professor of medicine at UCSF and an infectious disease specialist, is here to answer some of these questions. He was last on the show in November when we were battling the triple-demic, simultaneous spikes in COVID, RSV, and the flu. Today, he'll share where we're at in the pandemic now and what he makes of governments ending their COVID states of emergency. Dr. Chin Hong, great to have you back on 5th Emission.
2: My pleasure. It's so wonderful to be back again.
0: Well, Dr. Chin Hong, the big news this week is that California just lifted its COVID-19 state of emergency. And in a couple of months, the Biden administration will also end the national state of emergency. That means the sunsetting of all kinds of COVID support, including testing and different types of funding. Is this the right time to end those emergencies?
2: I think it is the right time, if ever there is a right time. We have a lot more tools right now, and it's kind of integrated into our regular care at this point anyway. Ending the designation of public health emergency is mainly a symbolic one. There have been certain provisions in California law that extend some of these benefits, particularly regarding vaccines and therapies well into November So it's almost like you're turning down the volume on support, but not pulling the plug on the stereo. So people have time to adjust.
0: Now, the mainstream sentiment, it seems like right now, which maybe people perceive of these emergencies ending, is that it's the end of the pandemic. What qualifies, in your view, the end of a pandemic? And is that even possible?
2: It's definitely possible to have a quote unquote official end of the pandemic, but it's definitely not there yet. And I would say emphatically not so. First of all, there is still COVID around in the hospital where I work. The numbers haven't really budged in the last two or three months, to tell you the truth. Clicking and refreshing that site every day, and I'm hoping that those numbers go down, but it's always kind of stuck at around 20 something with around three to five people in the ICU with real fide COVID, not people who just happen to have COVID because they came in with a stub toe or something. Secondly, I don't know if COVID is predictable. I'm hoping it is, but we kind of need to see a whole year cycle before saying for sure it's predictable. We do have lower numbers than we did a year ago, but one would say arguably it's still more than flu. And then we don't have predictability yet. It's not really the end of the pandemic. It's approaching, so I hope so, but I can't really conclusively tell you that one way or the other.
0: State officials, including Newsom, say California's healthcare system has now adapted to the pandemic. You just alluded to the same thing. But are there still gaps that you're worried about, particularly for the public healthcare system?
2: I think we were used to living in a Shangri La of healthcare during the COVID years because no matter who you were, what job you did, if you had work, you didn't have work, you've got the same level of care. Everything was integrated for the most part. The testing was generally linked to treatment. Sure, there were problems with disparities, but it was as good as it gets. Now, you turn down the volume on that support and you integrate it into our fractured healthcare system and the divisions look profound all of a sudden. Now, that uninsured group would suffer the biggest consequences. And even the people who have private insurance they will be saddled with some cost sharing, depending on what you're talking about over time. And that prospect, first of all, A, is confusing. Like, I can't even figure out my own health insurance and what my co is and who I can see with the least amount of friction. So people are going to make their decisions based on that barrier or that friction without even knowing the truth. And the truth of the matter is, Most vaccines are still going to be covered for most people, but for the uninsured, depending on where you live, you'll have a safety net in San Francisco, of course, but that's not in all parts of California and definitely not in all parts of the country.
0: Dr. Chin-Hong, in the past, we've heard a lot of concerns about new variants causing more serious disease and mutating to become more transmissible. Are we still worried about variants in that same way? We're
2: not worried about variants in the same way because... Lo and behold, the population immunity is better and better every time because so many people have been either vaccinated, exposed or both. It doesn't matter how crazy this variant looks like. You can give me like the scariest variant made in a Frankenstein lab, but the soil in which that variant is landing on right now in the United States, in the Bay Area in particular, looks increasingly more inhospitable. You take that same variant, you give it to China or someplace with low exposure, it's going to reap havoc. And in fact, that's what happened in Hong Kong last year in January, because the population hadn't seen a lot of waves. It was Omicron, which was causing problems in California, but nothing like what it did in Hong Kong, where it decimated the older population who weren't quite as well vaccinated.
0: Is that why we haven't heard much about potential new boosters on the way? Is that because people aren't concerned as much about these variants?
2: Well, I think people are open-minded about the variants. And I think the one predictable thing about COVID that we've learned in the last three years is that nothing is predictable. So I think we're watching with humility. But right now, it seems that we're doing fairly well, even in the most vulnerable populations. Those are over 65 and those are immune compromised. For the most part, they're doing well if they're up to date on vaccines. Even right now, the people who are doing poorly, the people who are dying of COVID in the United States, one of two groups, people who didn't get vaccinated, they happen to be older and older people who are vaccinated, but they were vaccinated back in December of 2020 and never got a booster. For the most part, the strategies are working well. The trick is really to get people to embrace all of these tools. And it's kind of frustrating for me because I look at these numbers, 400 deaths a day, and I'm thinking, wow, so many of these deaths are really preventable, even if somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated, if they have access to Paxlovid.
0: More with UCSF's Dr. Peter Chin Hong after a quick break. Last week, a debate about the value of mask mandates went viral. What are his thoughts on masking now? You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Dr. Chin Hong, you mentioned those severe case numbers before the break, and I still think about the local COVID risk when I go out in public, but I realize I'm probably part of a minority at this point. What is the best way to assess local COVID risks? Should I be looking at county data? People mentioned wastewater monitoring sites. Are there specific data sets that are more reliable at this point than others? I
2: think that's a really tricky question right now because things are shifting so much. Like in Marin County, for example, they've moved to uh, prioritizing wastewater epidemiology, which is generally going to be my answer to people who ask me that question. Secondly, I always look at our hospitalization numbers, you know, locally. You can't really fudge that. And of course, deaths. So I, I think they're the most final data. So nothing really great right now, but, you know, I think think they do give us glimpses into what's going on. Mm
0: -hmm. I want to bring up masking also as well, because last week, a New York Times opinion article went viral because it argued that, quote, mask mandates did nothing. That's what the headline stated. And people have picked apart the science of the study it referenced. And there's been a lot of debates online. What's your take? Is masking still helpful, even if you might be the only one in a crowded room doing it?
2: Yes, masking is emphatically helpful. When you look at those studies, only about 40% of the people actually wore the mask appropriately, even if you call it a randomized controlled trial. When you look at studies that are in more controlled settings, like schools or hospitals, even though they're not randomized because ethically randomized healthcare workers, one half wear masks, the other half not wear masks. But when you look at the impact of masking on intra-hospital transmission and intra-school transmission, they always look fantastic. And we've used masks for millennia. So if you wear a good quality mask in a public setting, you get COVID with some protection, but also other respiratory viruses. Even group A strep could be somewhat protected by wearing a mask
0: hmm. Dr. Chin Hong, I'm wondering, and I think I asked you this last time you were on the show, walk me through how you do your own daily risk assessment. How do you make decisions on things like masking or choosing which indoor gatherings to be a part of?
2: I look at the wastewater. It's ticking up a little bit, like in some areas of the Bay Area, but not quite dramatically. I look at our hospital numbers. They look pretty stable. And I look at my immune status in my body. And it doesn't have to be super complicated, but I'm up to date on my vaccines. And I know I'm not going to get terribly ill. And I know how to access packs a little bit. So that's in the background. So I navigate risk pretty healthily. I think for me, I don't live with my elderly mom. For the most parts now, apart from certain things, I don't wear a mask. The certain things might be if I'm indoor in a crowded area for a super long time lining up to go on the plane, lining to come off the plane in the TSA lines. Those might be the places that might wear a mask now. I certainly carry around a mask with me. I'm still wearing it in the hospital 100% because our guidelines still tell me to do so. So I think those are the settings in which I'm wearing my mask, which is vastly different from a year ago where I pretty much wore my mask everywhere.
0: So, the producer of our podcast, Francesca Fenzi, is recovering from COVID. And, you know, she sort of felt disoriented on how to navigate her infection at this state of the pandemic. Do you have any advice for people who might get new COVID infections at this point?
2: In general, I know it's really complex for people to think about algorithms and can I get Paxlovid, et cetera. So, I think the default for most people should be I can get Paxlovid. And then you have a conversation with with somebody who can help you. Of course, you don't need a diagnosis of COVID to get Paxlovid anymore. But I think it's still important to have a diagnosis. So early diagnosis within the first three to five days, assume you're eligible for Paxlovid. Certainly if you're older than 65, immune compromised and unvaccinated, you'll have the biggest bang for your buck. But even for people who are younger, there may be some benefit in terms of lowering a risk of long COVID, about 25% or so based on a VA study from the Veteran Fears Group, and potentially helping you turn negative faster because it's dropping a viral load.
0: Dr. Chen Hong, the last time we chatted, that was back in November. You compared that time to a horse race. Out of the gates that holiday season, we had RSV, COVID, and the flu all happening concurrently and cases were rising. That was a serious time for people in healthcare like yourself. What metaphor would you use to describe where we're at now?
2: We're kind of in a general smoldering period. It's kind of like you know that show the last of us and when all the zombies are underground like in that one scene <laughs> i don't mean to scare people by this but it's covid is there and when some people's immune system goes down it may exploit them so that's why we need to not just rely on natural immunity and you know if you got natural infection recently but to really you know get that more long term hybrid immunity or at least predictable vaccine immunity So it's there. It's not gone away. And maybe in the wintertime, they will all come back up again. But it will give us enough time to prepare for it, hopefully with annual flu shot, a combination flu and COVID shot in the fall. And we'll have new RSV shots anticipated for the fall for the very young and the very old, hopefully. So that's the way I think about it. It's kind of like A mild volcano that the ground is warm, but not scorching hot and it's not erupting. (laughs) But certainly in the wintertime, we may expect it to predictably come up again, if not have little geysers or hot springs, which wouldn't be as big as an explosion before winter.
0: Dr. Chen Hong, I love your metaphors. (laughs) I love your insights too. It's so helpful as always. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much. It's been so awesome talking to you again, Cecilia.
0: Dr. Peter Chin Hong is a professor of medicine at UCSF who specializes in treating infectious diseases. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at PCH underscore SF. For ongoing COVID coverage, yes, our newsroom is still covering it. Visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for helping produce this episode and for sharing her COVID story, to Gary Baca for editing it, and to you for listening.